You are listening to Quality Time, a podcast designed to support Nebraskan providers through their journey with Step Up to Quality. I am your host, Colleen Schmidt. Get ready to listen as we prepare to elevate each other as we step up to quality. Welcome, welcome back, everyone. Today, I am speaking with Mike Steele. Mike is a coach for Step Up to Quality and has been in the field of early childhood education for over 40 years. Mike, I am so excited to chat with you today. I can't wait for you to kind of share a little bit about your story with our listeners. So let's let's dive right in. Can you tell our audience a little bit about yourself and some of the roles that you have played in early childhood education? Yeah, well, yeah, thanks, Colleen. And thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk to you today. Um, it's it's like the old song, what a long, strange trip it's been. Um, <laughs> this, it's been, it's, it started a long time ago. Um, actually, I was the oldest in my family, and um, my mom thought and dad thought they were done with children. And then when I was 12, our, their last little boy came along, and I kind of just kind of gravitated toward that little guy. And I think one of the first experiences that I had, professional experience working with young children, was actually helping my mom in her Sunday school nursery room after church and things like that. So. Um, I was always the kind of guy growing up that instead of at the family reunion being with the adults over at the picnic table talking about stuff, I was over at the softball field playing with the kids. And um, it just, I I knew something with children, but had no way to get it after high school. So I I went into the Air Force um, not knowing what else to do. (laughs) We weren't, I wasn't going to college at that point. And um, so after four years in the Air Force, I was able to go to college. And I started down the journey of elementary education thinking, you know, this is what I want to do. And I started working with first graders and it didn't take very long to realize that um, they were a little bit already too smart for me, too developed for me, too already set in their ways to me. I really want to influence kids a little bit more than that. Um, so I happened to get my first job in early childhood was, was as a van driver at a family service here in Omaha many, many, many years ago. And after picking the kids up in the morning, going home, and then coming back and picking them up in the afternoon. One day they asked if I wanted to work with the children, and I said, sure. And um, so I started working with a toddler room. And then after a couple of weeks with toddlers, I realized now I've shot a little bit too low in what I might want to do with kids. Um, so I got into a, a preschool, preschool classroom, three- and four-year-olds, and really felt they comfortable. And that really has been my niche the, the whole time in my teaching. Um, I taught as a preschool teacher for 15 years here in uh, Omaha, primarily at at the beginning at a couple of centers that aren't here anymore. Some of you out there might know Children's Quarter. It was a very um, popular place here in Omaha years ago. Uh, But the the last 10 years of that 15 years, I spent at Children's Square USA in Council Bluffs. And I developed this real passion for working with children at risk, at risk, um, kids that really didn't have anything. Um, You showed up for them and that was their day everything else you did after that was icing on the cake and i really really felt fulfilled and, and needed there and um this whole idea of getting in with young children has always been something that i felt called to do and um i didn't have much choice to do it so i just kept riding that wave and the 15 years that uh, working as a teacher turned into 20 years at iowa western community college as an instructor there um 
got the best of both worlds because I worked with up and coming students who were in the field for the first time and getting excited about it, which kept me excited about it. But also we had a lab school and there still is there, but at Iowa Western there was a lab school. So I got a chance to be with children every single day as well. Um, so I just keep doing that. Um, after retiring from there, I got out into the world and wanted to continue to work with the community and with, with programs that were with children that, that needed people to be there for them. Um, and um, I've been a step up to quality coach for about five years. I substitute teach at Educare a uh, day or two a week when I can. So I'm actually still in the classroom and I love that as much as possible. Uh, I, do, I do trainings here in Iowa and in Council Bluffs. Um, I'm a CDA a PD specialist. I, I'm going to programs and I do the certification visit for a visit for educators that are getting their CDAs, which again, I love that too. Um, and um, I think that's about it. <laughs> about it. Oh, that's all, Mike. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it, it's nice because when you get to this point, you can kind of pick and choose. Um, I love the, the 40 hour week was kind of what I wanted to do after I got out of Iowa Western because I wasn't ready to retire by any means. But um, it, the picking your schedule and doing it this way is really nice for me. And I can work as hard as I want or as little as I want and for the most part. So um, and I want to keep doing it. So I'm hoping I, I can. Oh, Mike, I love it. And I <laughs> what a gift you are to have here in the Midwest. And since we're talking about step up to quality, what a gift you are to have here in Nebraska. I love how you said what a long, strange trip it's been. And I think a lot of our listeners can relate to that when you start, especially if you've been in the field for a while and you start thinking and reflecting back on your journey when you first began and what you're doing now and how you kind of got here and you start talking and listing all the things and roles and children and families and programs you've served, it just feels like you knew from a really young age, as many of us do, me too. Like when I was at grandma's house on Sunday and we had all the kids, all the cousins, oh, I was playing school and I was running that show. This is okay, let's play. Uh, I knew from a real young age too, that I wanted to work with children. And I also knew I wanted to work with really young children. I think a lot of us in the field, not everybody, but many do feel that pull or that call of this is what I'm meant to do. This is who I'm meant to work with. And we're just so lucky to have you. And with all those different roles under your belt, I still sub too. And I think subbing is like having your cake and eating it too. You still get to be in the mix. You're not the one running the show, but it, it feels really yeah. good to be with the kids. Yeah. And you're still serving and helping just in a in a different sort of different sort of way. Yeah. So I think that's so cool. I also think something that's a little bit unique about you in particular, Mike, is that you're a male in the field. Uh, so let's talk about that a little bit about being a man in a predominantly woman-led field. Uh, there's a research study that says and supports that only about 2.3% of early childhood teachers are men. So we don't have very many uh, male representation in serving our kiddos 
Why do you think that might be? I think the obvious reason and the reason why we also can't get a lot of women to work in the field and stay and sustain it is the pay, obviously. And, um, and I'm talking more of community-based programs um, where, where people are just doing this as a business, either out of their home or in a center-based program, um, working with, you know, 25 to 100 children or whatever it is. I think the pay has just always been a very hard situation for everybody. For me, again, feeling like this was something that I had to do or was called to do. I was single for a, a vast majority of, well, actually the whole time that I was um, working with the young children, I was still single. I got married very late. Um, and um, it, it, I didn't need to be paid very well. It was just me. Uh, and I was able to sustain. I didn't have a huge lifestyle that, that I was too concerned about. I was a pretty simple guy and um, able to sustain on the, that minimum wage kinds of things, which I, people would be shocked to hear what that was 30 years ago, I suppose, at this point. But um, And there were times that I also worked another job on the weekend. So I was literally working seven days a week so for, for the lengths of time there. But I did want to do what I was doing. And um, if I could to do it without getting paid, I probably would have done that. You know, I just didn't feel the need. I didn't worry. I never really worried about what my salary was as long as I was able to get the bills paid um, and things like that. So I think the pay is hard. And for me, it worked out, but very going to be very challenging moving forward to continue to attract young men into the field. I mean, they can do it for a short time. Everybody doesn't have to do it 40 years, obviously. Um, I think men can still come in for, for a time and make that impact with young children for sure. Uh, and then even, even if they move out of the field, they're going to be much better fathers, <laughs> you know, and that's, that's the, that's the whole thing. Even women that get into the field, a lot of the students at Iowa Western, I always talk to, I said, you may not even go into the field, but I can guarantee you, you're going to be a much better mother than you were two years ago when you started our program. Um, and I think we can all agree that that's a benefit too. Um, but I think that's the biggest reason. Um, I, I also, when I was going around it, it's changed now. Uh, we're a much more accepting society with, you know, women doing men's jobs and, and men doing women's jobs. But back in those days, um, you know, I got some strange looks and I got some strange talk behind my back. What in the world could this possibly, this guy possibly want to do this for, you know? Uh, when people got to know me, they, they got it. But, you know, I, I had to struggle with that perception, that stereotype, if you will about that. It's just, it's not something men normally do. And it's not something young men grow up aspiring to do, you know? And so our society just doesn't, it didn't, and still doesn't to some extent really value the men doing this kind of work as manly or <laughs> as what yeah. men should do. And uh, I think that was a, that was a big one. Um, and then the other one, and there's probably many, many more, but the other one that I, that comes to mind is the idea that some parents, family members are uncomfortable with men around younger children, um, just from the fact of their history with that. And, and it's just, that's one thing too, that I think drives people out of it or, or not even getting involved with it or even getting a chance to do it. Yeah. Um, and I've had to modify my way of being around young children over the years too, because I just kind of did whatever I did with kids and never even thought what it might look like from somebody just coming in, you yeah. know? So I had to change my stance on certain things too, to be kind of protect myself and uh, be careful about that. So those are just a few of the reasons I think. 
Yeah, I I love what you're mentioning about gender roles that we have this stereotype of this is a woman's work and this is not for men to do. But thank you for being real about pay is a big reason why we aren't able to attract anyone at this point to really, you know, be, I, I'm optimistic, Mike, that that is going to get better. It has to, we're, we're at a, we're at a point now where it really changes on the cusp. I'm an optimistic lady. So I do feel like that is someday going to be much more competitive, better for all. And that just, you know, helps us better serve the kids too. If we feel valued as professionals, men and women, if we feel like our role matters and what we're doing is important to the rest of the world. Uh, I also want to say, gosh, when you were talking about, you know, the fears of men being around young children, if you and I were in a preschool room and we're sitting on the rug and I have a little boy who comes and sits on my lap. The perception of that interaction looks very different than if you were having the same interaction with the same, you know, a, a di- same child or different child. And that is real hard. So I just appreciate your o- willingness to be open and honest about that. And I think that is, uh, again, something, as you mentioned, as we continue to grow and change as a society and are much more open to having a different idea of gender roles and, you know, trying to get away from stereotypes and understanding our own implicit bias about these gender roles, we're just going to continue to grow and get better. So I do really appreciate you bringing up the challenges of maybe why men are reluctant to join. Why do we need them? Why is it why is it something that we should be striving to increase in our programs or just in the field in general? Why is, why is having uh, men as early childhood teachers, especially in a community setting, important? I was going to say that's, that's where my particular focus is, has really always been uh, is in the community setting. And um, there's, there's lots of people out there, lots of kids out there that don't have you know, real good male role models. Um, and that's, I think, one part. It's, it's good to have, you know, a man there in a different role so that they can see that, you know, men are, are not just going to be this way or they're, or they're going to be whatever they are, but they're going to be somebody different. Um, certain programs I've worked with, I've always um, tried to show the kids that or worse, maybe than what's on the outside. But when you come into our program, it's it's going to be different than it is out there. So then they've got a chance to kind of compare things instead of just assuming it's always going to be what they see in the one place. So um, I think having a man in, in this role, um, I know when I was growing up, having men in my elementary, so elementary teachers made a big difference. And I had a, a, a solid family, in it, but it was still important for me to see men doing things. And as it is me seeing women doing things that men traditionally do, I just think it's important that that kids get to model that and, and or see that being modeled and do that. Um, the other thing with men in the field that pops up to me is a lot of the guys that go in, I think it's a lot of it's a two-way street. Guys going in got to see their roles too as a little different. Um, many times if we did have student men in Iowa Western that were working with children, they came in and they became just this big playmate with the kids. 
um, <laughs> and doing a lot of wrestling and tumbling, which kids need. Of course, you know, they love that rough and tumble play. They love to chase them out in the playground. They love to play, you know, manly with, with, a, with a man, you know, that, if that makes sense. I don't know if that makes sense, but you know yeah. what I mean? It's just, it's that whole kind of rough and tumble thing. And it, it's really important to kind of make sure you're drawing that line of, of that professional. Yeah. You want to be there and have fun with the kids too, but you want to also show them that men aren't always lifting them up and tossing them around and, and chasing them around and just being silly with them that you actually are there for the, the other purposes of that. So uh, the thing I always told my, my, my students, men and women was um, try to maintain that, that, that childlike quality, but don't be childish around uh. kids. And that's, that's a, that's a tough one for some people because they see kids and they see fun and they see childishness. I've got to be like they are, but you really got to, you got to maintain that sense of all that kid stuff, but you got to stay just a notch above that to be the adult in the room. And um, I never had to worry about that. It, it, I had good mentors and, and models going through all this and they always accepted me. Um, and that was the great part about being in a predominantly you know, dominated women's field that I was always accepted by 98%. There was always some, <laughs> but um, I was always, the doors were always open. And I, I like to think it wasn't just because I was the guy and maybe that opened the door, but I think being let into the room I proved that I should be let into the room. And that's the difference between just being there because you're a man and being there because you feel like this is something you really want to do and, and can do as well as anybody else. So, yeah. I love that being let in the room and showing that, yes, I belong here. I am an intentional caregiver, not just someone who's here to play and wrestle and throw you on my shoulders and do all that kind of, yeah. Oh, Mike, you are so right. And what a gift to have you be able to coach those pre-service teachers or those teachers new to the field and say, you need to remember what your role is here. It's not just to play in a way that is, um, being childish, being childlike. I love that quote, Mike. What a, what a good coach you are. Let's talk about coaching. Let's let's shift gears a little bit. And Mike, let's first start off by talking about your role as a coach for Step Up to Quality. Tell our listeners a little bit about your job as a coach. How do you support our providers here in Nebraska? Uh, first and foremost, I, I'd like to be uh, a cheerleader to the programs. I like to support the work that they're doing um, in any way that I can. And just being there sometimes as an ear to listen to is a, is a great starting point. But then it, it evolves from there. After uh, we build a relationship, I think that's the first place to start in any of this with coaching. Um, you've got to have a relationship. Um, you, it, it's hard. People have people coming in all the time that want to help them get better or, or do things differently. And a lot of times um, people come in and tell them what to do or um, the mandate is what they're supposed to do or, or something like that. And I think for most people, that's very difficult to sustain and, and really buy into. So uh, I see as a coach, we have to first come in and, and, you know, first build that relationship with the, with the provider. And usually I work with directors typically um, and then let them know what I feel like they're doing well right now and, and really, you know, make them feel good about wherever they are. Um, and I think that's, that's really where it starts building that relationship and that trust. 
Um, and then as I start meeting with them more, and usually when I'm working with a program, it's usually maybe a couple of times a month for about an hour at a, a time, a session. Every coach does it differently. Every situation is different. Um, as a coach, as a program gets closer to their rating, I may spend more time there. Um, and then after rating, I may only touch base with the coach through an email for, for, or for a, a director through an email for lengths of time. So it's all different, but when I'm actually involved with coaching, um, finding out where they are and where they want to go is, is a big part of that. So I do do some observations of the program sometimes <clears throat> to get to know how the program works. Um, I talk to staff again, try to get their trust too. Um, I like to pop into a staff meeting or I used to in, in the days when we could do that and, and let them know that I'll be hanging around for a while and uh, make sure they understand what step up is. Because unfortunately, even when programs are involved in step up, a lot of times the staff really doesn't even know what that means. So um, I try to help them understand the big picture of why they're doing this. And it's not me coming in and going to say, you're doing this all wrong. Here's what you should do better. It's this idea of continual quality. It, it never ends. Um, as a coach, I don't expect to ever stop learning how to be a coach. <laughs> um, so I'll, I'll continue doing that. So I, I'm hoping uh, teachers and educators continue to um, wanting to be better at what they do. So it, it starts with that. Um, and then once we're in the process, and usually when I'm working with a program, they're at the point where they are going to submit their rating for their next step. Um, in the in the step up that we're involved in now, um, at step three, coaches can be assigned to programs. Um, so they've already done a lot towards getting prepared for this, but it's when it really starts to ramp up um, because then we start looking at uh, putting together their portfolio, which um, aligns with what they call the rating readiness tool. And this is how a program is, is looked at. Um, it's very similar to a Everybody out there understands uh, Itters, Eckers, class. It, it's that idea of, of you get points assigned for certain things that you do. But the difference is, well, with all of these tools, this isn't a test. This isn't a, something that says you've got to do it this way. It's, it's here's a menu of options you have to improve your quality. Which would you guys like to pick? Um, if you're shooting for a certain step, they know what the points are that are needed in this rating readiness tool. So then they, we assess their program. We look at the rating readiness tool. We find out what they have to gain the points they want. We look at an area that says, well, we want this, but we don't have it yet. So then we coach towards getting that points, those points in the rating readiness tool towards their rating. Um, so that's, that's pretty much my role with, with the program as it starts out, real generally speaking. It's just getting with the director, um, finding out what they want to do to improve their program, and then pretty much going from there. But it's usually focused on that rating readiness tool for the most part. I took a lot of notes while you were just while you were just <laughs> chatting with us about that. And some of the keywords that are standing out from just your explanation, which was beautifully stated, uh, is relationships, cheerleader, supporting staff, building trust, giving them the big picture and making sure that they know that quality is ongoing. Quality is ongoing. Learning never stops. And you even mentioned, Mike, that learning doesn't stop for you either. As a coach, it's important that you're still keeping up with trainings and current trends and other useful strategies to support programs. 
I love so much what you said about all of that and really helping programs evolve, highlighting all the really good things that they already are doing, giving them, you know, suggestions if they want on ideas on how to get there if they're ready. Yeah, I think it has to be such a balance. I think a lot of, um, maybe not a lot, but some, <laughs> some people may have this misconception that if I join Step Up to Quality, they're going to give me a coach and coach is going to come in and totally change what we're doing in here, mandate a bunch of things that we must do and make me feel uncomfortable and like I don't know what I'm doing with young children. And so I next want to ask you a little bit about that. What I just said, this, this misconception of coaches driving the bus. So can you give us a little glimpse about goal setting when you're working with a director or a program? Who's driving the bus and how do you decide what types of goals to set up? Right. There's no question that the director is driving the bus or the coachee, however you're looking at your situation. And that's the way it should be. And to be honest with you, that was something that I had to get a little better at. Um, coming in with the kind of experience and knowledge that I have being in the field for a while, and the field hasn't changed much in 40 years. You know, it, we, we really know what's best for kids. We know what quality is. It's painted with some different colors now, and it's definitely amped up, and it's way better. It continues to get better, but the basics of it is kids is kids, and you know, it, 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 we know about kids. We know what to do with kids, but um, I don't want to tell them that <laughs> until they ask me about it. So the hardest thing for me as a coach is keeping my mouth shut in a lot of ways because I want to hear what they want to do and what direction they want to go and how they might do that. Um, and then I can try to work alongside with them. It, it, it's a partnership. It really is. I view it as a partnership as we go through this. So, yeah, they're, they're driving the bus. Um, they're deciding what they want to do, how much they can do, and, and basically how they want to do it. And then I think it's my job is to help them fulfill that, the, those wishes of how they want to do that. So. Yeah, a partner, you yeah. know, someone who's helping was their co-pilot if we change our analogy and use it as, you know, I, I think that's important for people to understand, you know, Mike Steele is not going to come into your program and say, oh, you're terrible and how awful, what are you doing here? Let me just totally redo everything for you. Shame on you. That's not what this is about. It's that, like you mentioned earlier, Mike, that continuation of learning to support quality care here in Nebraska. I love that. And the other thing that I, I want to mention when, it, when it's not on the other side of that is I'm not going to come in there and, and give you all the answers. That's the other thing. If they, they, Some people aren't, they don't want to coach and they want to coach in because now the coach is going to fix everything for us. But that gets into the whole sustainability issue because I, I know, I don't know if everybody knows, but the idea of step up is we're basically working to not work with you anymore. We, yes. We're definitely trying to just get in there, get you to the point where you now you can buy into the idea of this quality approach, however you want to look at it. But now it's your job to sustain that once the coach leaves. And I think that unfortunately, in, in many cases, is some place we're not, we're not there yet in, in the field. Um, we send people to six hour a day workshops and we expect them to make some realistic change to their work on Monday when 
you know, that's a lot of stuff to take in six hours and, and without any support after that. And it, it, it's, we, it's, it's difficult for people to sustain change and having that coach to do it over time uh, and, and then forcing, so to speak, the director to, to make those changes uh, within themselves in their program that I think will help um, the sustainability of the change. And I think that that's our goal and step up as I see it is, is promoting sustainability of change and then letting them go from there is I know me and you too, Colleen, I know we, we've done this a while and the only reason we do it is because we feel good about what we're doing. <laughs> and mm-hmm. when we're making those decisions for ourselves and, and going that direction, we're feeling good about it. And, and I, I think that's what the main part of the step up is, is supposed to be anyway. Sus- sustainability for change for quality change. Yeah, Mike, I am glad you mentioned that about the other end of that, you know, assumption of, oh, cool. Let me sign up for Step Up to Quality and I'll just let them do it. (laughs) I'll just let Mike just fix it. And then when he leaves, I'm not going to sustain any of these changes and we'll be back to square one of not having the best quality care we could. But I think that's such a good point. Coach is not going, even though coach will have a relationship that's sustainable with you, coach is not going to be part of your program for forever. I think a good coach coaches themselves out of a job. <laughs> like the, the coach who's really there to support and help you is able to coach themselves out of being needed out of your program, but still wish you all the best and be your biggest cheerleader and rooting for you from the sidelines, not from inside the stadium, maybe. (laughs) Oh, that's great, Mike. Thank you for bringing that up. Now let's, I'm going to try and wrap up a little bit what we talked about. So you just made so many good points about the relationship and how your role is evolving. I love what we talked about at the very beginning with having men in the field and why that matters and maybe why they might be reluctant to join. I just, I've liked this podcast so much, Mike. This, this has been, yeah, this has been a goodie for me, but I, I would like to end the same way that we always kind of end with our guests. And I would love for you to tell everybody what your why is, Mike, especially in this field that, boy, oh boy, it's, you've been here for 40 years, you yeah. said, and you're still going. You just said you hope you're here five years down the road and doing something different. What's your why? Why do you keep showing up? Why do you like what you're doing? Why is what you're doing important? What's your why? Yeah. Uh, just to keep it short, because there's lots of reasons, but the main reason is children, of course. I mean, I'd much rather interact with children than most adults I know, and it's, it's just, that's just me. <laughs> so I enjoy children. I enjoy, especially that, like I said, that I'm very comfortable around the two, three, and four-year-old age. Um, I, I'm just really in love with that age of kids. Again, I have a, a step-grandchild now who just turned five, and we've been involved with him for about a year now. And uh, It's just been a blessing to have him in our lives. And I'm a grand, new grandpa now, so I've got a, an infant of seven weeks old, so I've got that in my life now, so, so that's going to be great. But really, it comes down to making a difference. Um, I, I learned a long, long time ago that 
I wanted to make a difference in the world. And when I left, I wanted to be sure that the world was different, at least to one or two people. And like you said earlier, it's probably been hundreds and thousands, I hope, <laughs> children and, and, and parents and family people that have been infected by, influenced by the work that I've done. And I, I hope to continue doing that. But that's the key for me. I, I just think if we're going to be here on this earth, we might as well make, make it better, a better place for other people. And so far, so good. And I hope to continue it. Oh, Mike, thanks for making the world a better place to be. I fully believe that you you are doing your mission. Your why is supported by your how. Absolutely. I love it. Uh, well, thank you, Mike, for spending an afternoon with me just chatting. It was a pleasure to get to speak with you today. And yeah, it's thank been a pleasure. Thanks. thanks for the opportunity. It was really fun. Was. Absolutely. Let's do it again. I feel like we could do like three more of these, you and I. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt about it. <laughs> and you they, talk about this kind of stuff, that's for sure. I know. We could talk all day about this. I this is that's right. <laughs> and thank you everyone for spending quality time with us. Please join us again as we chat about future topics to support our Nebraskan providers on their journey with Step Up to Quality. Until next time, bye-bye.